0: I haven't a lengthy portion of God's Word to read to you this evening. But what I want to do, I want to draw your attention to three different texts. uh, Three different verses from the Holy Scriptures. And from these three verses, I want to preach on the subject. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. And of course, the reference is to... The Lord Jesus Christ himself. So the message is all about him. And I trust that God will bless the message to every heart this evening. First of all, let's turn to Acts chapter 16. And if you can find verse 31 to begin with, you may need to keep a marker in these different places. So when we come to deal with each of the verses, it will not be a bother to you. You'll be able just to flick over to that particular verse. So it's Acts chapter 16, and the focus is on verse 31, a familiar verse to most of you gathered here tonight. Listen to it again. And they said, that is Paul and Silas, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Okay, put a marker in there. And then turn over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And if you can find verse 2, please. Over towards the end of the New Testament. I don't need to tell you that. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. And when you find a place, let me read this verse to you and with you. Notice what it says. Beloved, I mentioned this this morning, the tender words that John uses when he addresses God's people, children this morning, and now the word beloved, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, listen to it, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Then we're turning to the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, and uh, verse 43. Again, another familiar portion, another familiar verse, another familiar scene from the Gospel. Luke chapter 23, verse 43. There's a link here between all of the verses. We'll come to that just in a moment or two. Luke 23, verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, that is unto the believing dying thief, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And may it please the Lord to bless the public reading of his word to all our hearts. For Christ's sake, amen. Amen. It's all about Him. From the beginning to the end, the Bible is an epic story about Jesus Christ. Why is He so central? Why is He so unequaled in its pages and in so many hearts across the world? The answer is simple because only He came to earth from heaven only he was truly God and man only he lived a perfect life only he died an atoning death and rose again to vanquish sin Satan darkness and death Jesus Christ was everything Adam the first man failed to be everything Israel failed to be and everything we have failed to be. He succeeded where we have not. The author who designed us to worship and enjoy him and whom we have offended because of our sin and rebellion stepped into his own story to salvage this great story, the greatest story ever told. Above all, his story is a story of rescue. God becoming man to bring man back to God. Though each of us deserve a separation from God eternally because of our sin, the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cruel cross in the place of sinners to pay the penalty we owe to him. And the message of the Bible is clear that Jesus loves to forgive. That's why he came. And Jesus loves to make all things new. That's why he's coming again. And he is coming again. Not to be scorned. Not to be mocked at. Not to be rejected. But he's coming to reign. To judge the ungodly. And to reward and bless his own redeemed people in the light of that the message is very simple the sinner needs to turn to him in faith and repentance the sinner needs to trust in him alone for salvation as their savior and today my message is all about him it's all about jesus it's all about the blessed son of god the greatest story ever told it's all about him This story involves three simple things as far as the congregation is concerned, as far as man is concerned. First of all, very simple, it involves believing on him. You go back to Acts chapter 16 and verse 31 and let me uh, describe the scene to you. It's the city of Philippi. It's the jailhouse in Philippi. Paul and Silas are kicking up a dim In the middle of the night, they're singing praise to God. That's not the kind of thing you'd expect. When I was uh, a chaplain in the maze on a Friday night going down to do the Bible study near the 12th time, it was a different tune they were playing when I approached the prison to preach the word. But here these two men beaten cast into the innermost part of the prison and they're singing praises to God and the prisoners heard them. That was an amazing thing for the prisoners to hear the gospel in a dark dungeon of a prison. Suddenly there was an earthquake. The prison began to shake. The prison doors were opened wide. The jailer, he was awakened out of his sleep. He ran in and he saw the doors opened and he assumed that all the prisoners had gone. He drew a sword to kill himself. And you know what saved him from suicide? It was the gospel. And the gospel has saved many a person from suicide. The gospel has saved many a person from drugs, drug addiction. The gospel has saved many a person from alcoholism and other things of the day. The gospel saved the healer from a suicide and a suicide's hell. How do I know? Because the preachers on that occasion preached unto him the gospel. And they said to this man. This is what Paul said to the the Philippian jailer. With a sword in his hand to commit suicide. Do thyself no harm. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The operative word is belief. Do you see it? Believe in or on the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou, it's personal, shalt, that's very uh, positive, that's certainty, and thou shalt be saved. So here's the message of salvation. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and as a consequence of that, thou shalt be saved. Are you clear tonight? It's a simple message. no punches, made it clear and simple to you. You've, you've known this truth for a long time anyway. Some of you may uh, are only hearing it maybe uh, for the, maybe the first time. I find that rather hard to believe, but maybe there's someone here hearing it for the first time. So this speaks of our salvation. Now what does that word salvation really mean? Well, to put it very simply, it means deliverance from danger. It means deliverance from, from suffering. It means to deliver, to protect, if you like. And the word carries the idea of safety. It carries the idea of preservation. But sometimes the Bible uses the word saved and salvation to refer to temporal or physical deliverance. Such as in the case of Paul when he was in prison in Philippians chapter 1. And he was thanking God for the prayers of the the church at Philippi. And he was saying that through their prayers, this shall turn to my what? My salvation, my deliverance, my release from prison. You get the idea now we're talking about salvation and it can be used in a physical way. Deliverance from danger. Our young sister the other night there was involved in a serious accident. But the Lord delivered her. Did he not? And we gave God thanks for that. He stepped in in a marvelous way and preserved her life. Do you get the picture now? Deliverance, salvation, physically speaking. But more often salvation concerns a spiritual deliverance. And when the Apostle Paul addressed this Philippian jailer with the, the sword in his hand, with this great message, he was referring to the jailer's eternal destiny where will you be in eternity where will you be a hundred years from now you'll still be in existence there's no doubt about that but where will your soul be a hundred years from now a thousand years from now ten thousand years from now you'll still be in existence oh to be delivered spiritually from the condemnation of the broken law, to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, and to know your sins forgiven, and to know that you have been delivered from wrath and judgment to come. Jesus equated being saved with entering into the kingdom of God. Whose side are you on? Who's on the Lord's side tonight in this service? Who's on the side of Satan, Lucifer, the devil? I don't know where you stand with God. Maybe you're unsure yourself. Maybe you're depending upon a profession in the distant past. It's not current with you. There's nothing up to date about your experience. It's just a figment maybe of your imagination, something you thought happened way back then. Maybe it never happened at all. What a disappointment for you to stand before the judge of all the earth to have him say to you, who are you? I never knew you. Some people will be greatly shocked and disappointed to come to that realization when it's far too late. I'm not known in heaven. I don't know Christ. I don't know the way. I don't know the door. I don't know the good shepherd. And then to hear the words depart from me, "Ye curse it. I never knew you. So what are we saved from? Well the Bible makes it abundantly clear that we are saved from wrath that is God's judgment on sin. Because our sin has separated us from God and the consequence of that sin that involves all of us. That involves all mankind. The consequences of sin is death. I've mentioned before here at the grave side, there are three different kinds of death. Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, they died spiritually. They didn't die physically for many years after that, but their physical death eventually came. It's a sad thing when men who are spiritually dead and when they die physically, if they haven't trusted Jesus Christ, they will die eternally. And that means the lake of fire. Separation from God for eternity, forever and ever. With the wrath and the judgment of God being poured out upon you eternally. With no relief, no escape, no way out, no way back. Living with memories of meetings like this. Memories of people praying for you and telling you about Jesus Christ and your rudeness and responding to them and your indifference to the gospel. It all comes back to you. Maybe that's the worm that does not die. The memory. Who can tell? But hell's going to be an awful place. Tormented. That's what the rich man describes it as being like. Tormented in this flame. He longed for a a water. Some water to be placed on the tip of his tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. There's actual physical suffering in this place. The torment of the mind. The torment of the body. And the realization, this is my destiny forever. I'll never get out of this place. There's no hope for me, but there is in this life. Under the gospel of grace, you can believe to the salvation of your soul. Salvation therefore refers to our deliverance from the consequences of sin. And therefore involves the removal of our sins. Some nights you go to bed you can't really sleep too well. Oh, memory plays in your mind all the time. Oh, that, the memory's set on fire. Oh, there are things that you've done, things that you look back upon with regret and you're, you toss and turn uh, uh, night by night. You can't really have any kind of peace because of your sin. Some of the prisoners that uh, we attended to had that story to tell. Some of the atrocities that they carried out, they just couldn't live without going over in their minds day and night. All those years incarcerated, having the same thought, the same memories, the same nightmares. No relief. What a place hell's going to be. Don't go to it. Turn around tonight. Flee to Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. And thou shalt be saved. Another question. Who does the saving? Only God can remove sin. And deliver us from the penalty of sin. Only he can do it. Salvation is so simple. We can overlook it. Yet so profound we can never comprehend it. It's a mystery. It's God's mystery. But it's God's gift to sinners. It's God's gift to sinners. And one person I read uh, during the week says, salvation is God's way of making us real people. The people God intended people to be. According to his mercy, mercy, he saved us. Titus 3, verse 5. So how does God save us then? It is through Christ For the Bible does say, for God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, listen to it, might be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There it is. In a nutshell, I'm emphasizing it. May the word of God grip your heart tonight that you might not be able to sleep tonight. Oh, I'd love to preach a message that would cause you to have a sleepless night to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ. I would rejoice in that with all my heart. And with all my soul. It's all about him you see. It's all about Jesus. By his death and subsequent resurrection. He achieved salvation. Because the Bible says. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. Would you not like to have your sins forgiven? Here is a golden opportunity. Here is a wondrous invitation. Here you can experience the forgiveness of sins. Through faith. In the blood of Jesus Christ. Shed for sinners on Calvary's cross. Salvation is the gracious undeserved gift of God. And is only available through simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. One writer said salvation is the work of God for man. It's not the work of man for God. There's nothing you can do that can please God. But there's something that God can do for you that will make you happy. And will really satisfy your soul, bestowing grace, unmerited favor upon those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. So how do we receive this salvation? Do we have to empty the bank book? Do we have to pay for those who have gone on before to get them out of a place called purgatory? An imaginary place, not scriptural at all. People will be paying for years and years to come to get Some of their friends out of the so-called place. Salvation is the gift of God. Comes free of charge. There's not enough money in the world to purchase it. It comes to us as the gift of God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. It's in Jesus Christ. The dear Son of God. And it comes to us through faith. How do we get faith? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And the good news of the gospel is that Christ has died, Christ has been buried, Christ has been raised from the dead, He's ascended to God's right hand, he lives in the power of an endless life, and He has power to save all those that come unto Him by faith. There it is, through faith. The instrumentality of faith. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We must be saved. Do you hear it? We must be saved. And the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to every everyone that believeth. And God commandeth men to repent and be converted. And he commends calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So salvation is the deliverance of God's grace from eternal punishment for sin that is granted to those who trust Jesus Christ by faith on the condition of repentance and the exercise of faith in Jesus Christ. It's all about Him, you see. So the first thing, it involves believing on Him. But is that the end of the story? Second thing I want to draw to your attention is brought to attention there. In 1 John 3, verse 2. Let me just read it to you again. You can turn it up in your Bible if you so deserve. If you have the bookmarker in there, just flick open to the place. I'll read it again. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear. Listen to it. Now it's coming now. We shall be like him. There it is. So first of all, there is the believing on him. That's our salvation. Then secondly, there is the becoming like him. That is our sanctification. The time is coming, according to John, when we shall be like him. Now in the meanwhile, it ought to be the goal of those who have been justified by faith to strive to be like him. And this process is called sanctification. Justification is a work of God's grace. Sanctification is a process Justification, an act of God's grace. Sanctification is a process. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. So the Lord saves us. Is that all that happens? He leaves us to ourselves? Not at all. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. There's a process following on from this act of justification. And that word sanctification is related to the word saint, by the way. And the words have to do with holiness. To sanctify something is to set that something apart for special use. To sanctify a person is to make that person holy. Jesus prayed. Listen to it. He prayed in John 17, the great high priestly prayer. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now the Bible speaks of sanctification in two different ways. We have been sanctified. That's the first one. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So God sets us apart in his electing love and in his electing grace. And he calls us irresistibly by the Spirit of free grace and he justifies us by his grace and he puts us in Jesus Christ. So we have this aspect of sanctification, God sets us apart for His service, for Him, for His glory, that He might delight in us. That's an amazing thing, that He might delight in us. Sanctification is something that has taken place when God set us apart. It is ours because we are saved because of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then... There's a a second way that the Bible refers to sanctification as a process, and that involves a moral and spiritual change in us once we are saved. Now, let me use a very simple illustration. A man called Mark Potter has given this simple illustration. Just like a good fisherman, Jesus first catches the fish, and then he cleans the fish. Do you get the picture? The Lord justifies his people... He declares them to be righteous at the bar of God just before heaven, just before the bar of God. Then he commences the work of sanctification. He catches the fish and then he begins to clean the fish. Do you get the picture? Simple illustration. That's what's involved. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. He cleanses us by his sanctifying word. So, this aspect of sanctification is what we're talking about here tonight. And it is to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. So, he justifies us, he declares us to be right with God, and then he commences this work to make us more like himself through the application of the word of God to believing hearts. Justification makes us right with God. We could go to heaven the moment We are justified because we are clothed with his perfect righteousness and therefore acceptable to God. But God does not stop in justifying us or with justifying us. He immediately begins this process of change called sanctification. Justification frees us from the guilt of sin and its condemnation. But the process of sanctification begins to free us from the power of sin and its rule in our life. That is why if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He gives up the booze. He gives up the cigarettes. He gives up the gambling. He gives up the porn. He gives these things up because he's justified in the sight of God through faith. And the Spirit of God has taken up his residence within. And the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to the hearts and lives of those who believe. Dealing with these things. Dealing with the principle of sin. With a view to make that saved sinner more like Jesus Christ. Because one day we're going to be like him. And in the meanwhile, we ought to strive to be like him. So he doesn't leave us just to float by ourselves. He gives to us the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And sanctifies us through the application of the word that we might become holy. Because that is our destiny. The no saints attain to complete sanctification in this life. Yet the scripture tells us that saints in heaven are completely free from the power of sin. That's a wonderful thought to think about. Can you imagine that? I don't think that we can really take it in. What it's going to be like to be free from sin. Because everything we do, every thought we think about is tainted with sin. Every good deed we do in life is tainted with sin. Even our prayers are tainted with sin. We just cannot imagine what it was going to be like to be absolutely free from sin one day, because one day we're going to be like him and all of us glory and all of us fullness. So in the past, God has granted to us justification. He has saved us. Once and for all. This is positional holiness in Christ. In the present, God guides us unto maturity a practical, progressive holiness. And in the future, God will give us glorification, a permanent, ultimate holiness. There's a thought of believing in him. There's a thought of becoming like him. Are you becoming more like Jesus since your conversion? Is there evidence of grace in your life? Can others see it? Do you know it? Are you experiencing it? Do you see more of Christ in you with the passing of each new day? Are you growing in grace? Are you maturing in the things of God? Have you repudiated the things of the world? Are you running the race that I said before you? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. It's got to be current, you know. Don't be depending on something in the distant past. It's got to be a right, up-to-date experience with God. Are you becoming more like Jesus? That's The test of the reality of your salvation. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that sanctification is that condition in which the sin principle is dealt with. And uh, another Reformed preacher uh, penned these words. Justification is the criminal pardoned. Sanctification is the patient healed. The union of both constitutes present salvation. That's what it's all about present, current salvation, justified and being sanctified. So we thought about these two things believing on Him, Acts 16, 31. Becoming like Him, 1 John 3, verse 2. And then we come to Luke chapter 23, verse 43. We have three crosses on that little hill outside the walled city of Jerusalem. It was early in the morning when the Lord and these two other criminals were taken out. Of course, the Lord wasn't a criminal, he was treated as a criminal, but he was innocent. And they came to the appointed place, and the three men were stretched out on the crosses. The nails were driven into their hands and feet, and there the crosses were erected. Can you imagine the scene, the agony, the degradation, the mockery, God's dear son, the creator of the universe, the God of grace, the God of mercy, stripped naked, been mocked and laughed at and scorned, blasphemed, holy, spotless, Lamb of God who did no sin, who knew no sin, he could not sin. It was impossible for him to sin. But there in agonies and blood is on the tree. Two of the malefactors, two the malefactors begin to ridicule him. And suddenly, one of them is a change of heart. What is a change of heart evangelically? Repentance. The man listened to Christ pray as he prayed. He looked upon him as he was dying, and suddenly it dawned on him this is the Christ, the King of the Jews. This is someone very special. We're guilty, but this man's not guilty. And there, in his dying moments, the Holy Spirit took a dealing with his heart, broke him down, melted that hardened heart of that criminal, that vile sinner, who deserved to die. And there, as he was hanging in agony, short time to live. The other one was every bit as bad and he continued on and as far as we know he died in the sin and he went to hell. But here's one man, a very fortunate man who experienced God's grace at the end of the journey of life. And Jesus looked to this man. The man who prayed to him, remember me. That's, that's what he said, remember me. He hadn't time to pray much more. hadn't time to get baptized or Get to the synagogue, get to the temple in Jerusalem. No, he was he was kneeled to the cross there, he was dying. there had a few minutes left, as far as we know, maybe longer. He just said, Remember me. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? Today shalt thou be with me. The third point, I'm emphasizing again involves being with him. And the moment that hell-deserving sinner, I don't know what crimes he committed. He was a criminal. Well, he was a robber, I don't know. He may have been one of the robbers in the Jericho Road. I don't know for sure. Could be. But the moment he closed his eyes on death, he went to be with Christ. So there is the thought of believing on him. The thought of becoming like him. And then ultimately there is being with him. This is glorification. Do you see it? Salvation, sanctification, glorification. Here's teaching. Here's evangelical teaching. Here's the preaching of the word. Shorter catechism. If you haven't got one, get one. If you you haven't got one, you can get one. Let me know and I'll get you one. It's worth It's worth, it's weight in gold. Question 37 asks the question, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? Well, I suppose you can answer that. Well, let me just give you the, the shorter catechism's reply to that. The souls of believers are at death made perfect in holiness and do immediately go into glory and their bodies being still united to Christ. Do rest in the graves till the resurrection. Right, let, let that sink in now. You getting the picture? This is what happens to a believer when they come to the end of the journey of life. Here we learn the blessings believers receive when life comes to an end. The soul is made perfect. Perfectly holy. Or free from all sinful tendencies. And taken at once to heaven, the body rests in the grave in union with Jesus Christ. Till... The last day. This is not glorification. This is the benefits the believer receives. at death because of their union with Jesus Christ. Luke 16.23 makes this clear. And in hell he lifted up his eyes. That's the rich man in, in Luke 16. Being in torments, we've mentioned this before. Seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Well, what does this refer to? As Lazarus is in heaven. He's a redeemed soul. God had mercy on him. And so he's just died. The rich man has died. The rich man immediately went to hell. The believing man immediately went to heaven. And his, bo- his soul, his body was returned to the earth. The apostle Paul in Philippians 1.23 said, For I, I am in a strait betwixt two. He was was pulled in two different directions. Having a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better, or to remain living on earth. Well, the best thing for Paul was to depart to be with Christ. That was the way he was. So he knew that when death came, when he departed, he would go immediately to be with Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. But this is not glorification. It hasn't come yet. But what is then glorification? What does it mean to be with Christ? Oh, we've touched upon these things. In this high priestly prayer, Christ prayed, sanctify them through thy word, thy word is truth. Sanctification is necessary if we are to see Christ's glory and be with him in eternal fellowship with the Father. This is what he prayed. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory and in glorification The glorification of the saints follows the pattern revealed in Scripture. It must entail our sharing the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven and when our Savior returns, he shall transform these lowly bodies of ours. Listen to it. To fashion it like unto his glorious body. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, listen to it, we shall be like him. This is the goal of the child of God. Believing on him. Becoming like him. And now we've come to the end. It's beyond the grave. We're out into eternity now. And we will be like him. Being like him. Being with him. For eternity. We will be perfectly conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we will be like him. And that our humanity will be free. From all defilement and all sin. And its consequences. Our blessed hope should spare, spur us on to holiness. The spirit enabling us. And every man that hath this hope in him. purifieth himself even as he is pure. And then the question 38 of the shorter catechism. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at his resurrection? At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment. There's a day of judgment coming. The white throne judgment of the Lamb. And an ungodly world will appear before the great white throne judgment. And the judge upon the earth will be Christ himself because God hath committed this judgment into the hands of the Son. And men who spurn him now will regret it on that day. Men who have refused him will regret it on that day. Men who have ridiculed him and despised him and blasphemed his name will regret it on that day because he will be the judge of all the earth. And men will appear before him and stand before him but the saints of God will be acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoyment of God to all eternity. So we learn that there will be a resurrection after the resurrection of judgment and that the judgment believers in Jesus Christ will be raised with their glorified bodies. All of the saints of God who have gone on before are in heaven in their souls their bodies, as we've mentioned before, are still in the grave in union with Jesus Christ. But when the king comes, the trump shall sound. The last trump. The king of glory will appear in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, and all of his power. The king is coming. Hallelujah. He's coming in power. And when that happens, the bodies of believers will be reunited with their souls. They will be raised in their glorified bodies. This is what it's all about. This is what we have. This is the, the climax to it all. We shall see him as he is. George Whitfield said, I like the way he put it, the renewal of our natures is a work of great importance. It is not to be done in a day. We have not only a new house to build up, but an old one to pull down. That's this work of progressive sanctification. But then the climax arises. In a glorified body. We will see the Lord our righteousness. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So there's three very simple things here. Listen to them one more time. There is believing on him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. There is becoming like him. We shall be like him. So we're going to be like him in glory. Let's strive to be like him while down here. To have a foretaste of things to come. That's what it really means. And then when that time comes, free from sin and free from the corruption, being with him for eternity in glory. What a joy that will be. It's all about him, you know. It's all about Jesus Christ. I haven't exalted self. I haven't exalted my denomination. I wouldn't dare do that. I I can't see it. But the one I've talked about, the one I've exalted tonight, the one I've preached to you about, is the one who can save you by his grace. He can keep you by his power. He can present you before his Father with exceeding great joy and then lead you into the bliss of everlasting joy in the Father's house. Ah, oh, the splendour of it all. Saved by grace alone, this is all my plea. Jesus died for sinful men, but Jesus died for me. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Saviour. It's all about Him. May you trust Him tonight. May God bless his word. May God separate us then in the moment with his blessing. I'm here to help you. Some of the elders you may be familiar with. If you want to speak to them, do so urgently tonight. Because the king is coming. Prepare to meet God. May God bless you. Thank you for your attention. Let's close in prayer. Father, we're thankful. For the things that we have glean tonight, simple things, telling us a wonderful story about thy son, the Lord Jesus, how we can come to believe in him, how we should strive to be like him, and may we all have a desire to be with him in his kingdom, in heaven, at the end of the journey of life. Give deciding grace this day to those who have heard. O oh, Spirit of God, strive on. Strive on. Dear Lord, do it tonight for thy glory. Lay thine hand suddenly upon a man or a woman, young person, a child, Sunday school kid. O oh, God, lay hold upon them. And may they come and taste and see. God is good he's merciful full of compassion he loves sinners he loves to save sinners and he delights to take his people home to glory to be in the Father's house forever may the blessing of God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon God's believing people now and forevermore And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.